They're ancient. They're everywhere. They're in the air. They're under your feet. Some are in you. They're in the crevices. They're in the cold, dank places. They're all over. There's a fungus among us. And there's a lot of talk about this these days. As we come off of the afterglow of an intense trip from a new series that was out, The Last of Us, which was a riveting show that talks about the power of cordyceps and zombieism and moves us through a dystopian nightmare, nightscape. Of course, that is an adaptation from a video game. We can look back at our history from around 42 million to 35 million years ago when land plants were still the relatively new kids on the evolutionary block and the tallest trees stood just a few feet high. Giant spires of life poked from the earth. The ancient organism boasted trunks up to 24 feet high and as wide as 3 feet, said National Geographic in 2007. They've been here long, long time. They're in sci-fi. They're in video games, as we just mentioned. There's a video game that came out in 2008 called Spore. And it is based off of all of this stuff we already know from our sci-fi writers. From microbe to intergalactic species. Evolve a species of your creation over the course of billions of years through five stages of evolution, cell, creature, tribe, civilization, and space, you, the player, decide the fate of your species. So we have another video game. What do people like to do these days? Play video games. What does Hollywood like to do? turn video games into master extravaganza experiences of TV series, limited series, cinema, cinematic extravaganzas of pictures on the big screen, spreading like spores, ready to bloom in our imagination, ready to take us over and propagate There's so much going on with this idea. There are so many ways in which these life forms, the third kingdom, have infiltrated our world. And there are those out there saying we are only here to serve its purpose. What is it? I think most of us became keenly aware in the 1960s experiments with psychedelia, 
mycelium, magic mushrooms, flower power. But that had a dark movement. It had an agenda, three-letter agencies and the government funding it. MK Ultra mind control parasitic assassins there's so many things to unpack here the deeper into this Amy D and I got the more we realized that it's everywhere around us that it's always been everywhere around us And it's hard to pinpoint what it is that makes this such an interesting subject matter. There are four groups of fungi, club fungi, molds, imperfect fungi, social fungi. The thing that starts to look interesting is fungus cannot make their own food like plants. They are eukaryotic, eating off of their host, reproducing through spores. This seems predatorial in a way, creepy. It seems a good way to go about learning your new environment as it changes, if you're that adaptive, like these life forms seem to be. There's a new virus going around. There's a new scare going around. And the CDC has even posted warnings on it. It's Candida auroris. Again, yeast is a form of fungi. Candida is so common in all of us. And the fact that it can be so dangerous in a form, in one of its forms, that it can infiltrate and kill a human is of interest because fungus is only trying to propagate itself further like all species. And so in killing something else, it is meeting its aim, just like the cordyceps from the last of us and in the natural world is most well-known through how they function through ants and other things. Toxoplasma Gandhi. A mouse can be so overcome by this that it will run towards the predator and play without any fear until the predator eats it, which is where the fungi wants to go. Slime mold. It's not technically a mold, but it's an amoeba, a single-cell organism. 
It's basically a biological computer, as Heather Barnett points out. It's fast-moving, and they've done a lot of experiments with it. It's sentient in a way where it knows where it's been. They're mapping out systems with it, placing what it eats, oat grains and other things, in a system, in a labyrinth, and it can find very swiftly all those and map out a space. At the same time, different tendrils within it, once they've explored a space, another tendril will come in and realize that it's been explored and will back off and explore space where it hasn't explored. This is intelligence. These things have been the root of horror, folk horror, sci-fi, for quite a long time, and there are a lot of sources to cite. But what are we talking about here? Amy D. and I are going to get into the mycelium of it all, the network under the surface, the underground, if you will, because... The more I started to see how pervasive within life, all life, all this is, the third kingdom, I started to feel a little more unsettled. Used to be we'd worry about black mold, right? Or maybe some mold on the food and you'd scrape it off and and move forward. But we love eating mold in some things. I love gorgonzola cheese and the products of things that ferment in mold. But I believe when I look back that I acquired the taste because people told me it tasted well, that it was lovely. That in combination, things like truffles and and the blue molds and cheese, the edible molds, are delicious. And they enhanced the food and served me food with these pungent flavors. I recall being grossed out eating a pizza with slimy mushrooms. That's the way they were in my perception as a little kid until my favorite cousin said they're great, they're delicious, and modeled the behavior and ate them in front of me to make me feel more comfortable with them. And now I start to question, was that him speaking or was that the fungus? We have movies like Invasion of the Body Snatchers where these spore-type things come in from outer space perhaps riding on an asteroid and end up in our world, in our environment. And, well, you know the rest of the story with Invasion of the Body Snatchers. There are things out here, ways to get us in it, get it in us. There's fashion all around all this. I think it's a real true, true 
the beauty of fungi in the natural world. I'm always mesmerized or enchanted when I encounter them in the yards around me, in the forest around me, everywhere. Everywhere I've ever been, I've seen some sort of fungus, even in the high mountain desert. This idea of cool, they need cool and damp, and that our bodies have a higher temperature and so they don't invade us in the way that's being put forward in some of the horror around us, the folk horror. But there are a lot of us that have low body temperatures. Now I know 94 is technically very, very low. But what if they were modified? You know, like they're modifying everything else, genetically modifying everything else. Why are we to believe that they wouldn't be out there doing that with the third kingdom? Do y'all still trust the government? The people modifying our foods and telling us what's good? Those old images of DDT and other nauseous things being sprayed on families eating the Marlboro Man. I don't know. I feel unsettled, and yet I still love them. I still find beauty in them. I feel sometimes when I'm in nature, I'm communicating with the mycelium network. They can penetrate and do the root systems of everything else underground, underfoot. They have the power. Let's explore this. I'm going to bring on my sister in the gutter, Miss Amy D. Amy D, how are you doing, girl? Girl, I'm feeling low in the gutter. I'm feeling low below the plant network. And I think today I'm feeling low enough to discuss the mycelium mushroom network that we're about to get into. Feeling good, Nish. Thank you so much for that wonderful introduction into this vast, vast world of uh, a substance or a food or a parasite, however you want to look at it, that will only create more, uh, seemingly create more ways to discuss and understand the subject matter. It does seem very funny to me that in a field like mycology, um, as you had noted before we got on mic, that there's a lot of dissenting opinions among the mycologists And you would think because of the mycelium network and the way that it all sort of, it's all connected that these, if my hypothesis that I'm kind of just like woo-woo running around in my mind that it's taking over um, and the people who are talking about these things have been kind of the way I would put it, like subverted by the mushroom or the network. It's interesting to me that it wouldn't have like a synthesizing point of view. So that makes me, I guess, a little hopeful about a complete takeover 
but also um, it raises a different sort of suspicion of toxoplasmosis, toxoplasma gondii uh, take over is they override our minds and they override our behaviors and the things that we want to eat and do and how we even like care for our children. So when I think of the potential for the amount of control something like a mycelium network could present the world with, I am a bit overwhelmed. I guess I'm I'm with you there. Yeah. And, you know, we started out not on the dark side of this, even though The Last of Us brings us into that idea, the, the dark side of it. I have long been a lover of mushrooms. And it started, of course, once my cousin modeled that behavior for me. But as I got older, I mean, I just, I love mushrooms and I've, I've been using them for a long time medicinally and of course in the culinary way of being. And as we're looking out in the world around us, there's so many products coming out now. I mean, there are velvety lampshades, there's uh mycelium-based bricks, there's cooling mushroom packaging, they're in fashion everywhere. Helena Elston debuts the intriguing FI, which stands for Fungal Integrated Project, uh, FI Fungal Integrated. So she debuts this project in 2022, December, so basically the beginning of this year. Let me just read from this. So with FI, London-based designer Helena Elston explores the viability of upcycled mycelium clothing and, in quotes, how we can produce beautiful things from discarded materials. While mycelium, the root-like structure of a fungus, has certainly been in the spotlight as a biodegradable material for anything from packaging to fabrics, it is always interesting to witness new takes. To arrive at the innovative and interestingly shaped mycelium clothing of the FI project, Helena, for example, combines the biodegradable material with other local waste products like discarded textiles and coffee sacks. The visual aesthetic of the collection piques interest, and Elston quotes again, Appliques these surplus fabrics using a mycelium growth process that lasts for roughly six weeks, exit quote. So the mycelium clothing biodegrades once the wearer has finished with it. So we see some of this, it's made its way into fashion. And it's very fashionable to have things timed out like that. But there are other products out there that are not biodegradable. So you can buy that expensive, fashionable pair of something or other and not worry about it biodegrading. I mean, we have Eden Power Corps doing hats made from actual mushroom, a whole fungus. Vogue did a spread on April 2nd. 2022 and it was entitled you aren't tripping fungi are taking over fashion and there are some stunning amy d stunning pieces of couture coming from several different designers and fashion houses with printed silks and other fabrics and tufting and and pin tucking and pleating 
just absolutely incredible. All of these designers that I looked at were creating things I would actually wear. They're all just stunningly beautiful, inspired by the world of fungus. And, uh, I mean, Daniel Delcour's debut collection, amazing, absolutely just breathtaking. Iris Van Herpen, unbelievably gorgeous. I mean, these things, it looks like, I'm not sure exactly, but some of these look like cut velvet. And then there's Raul Mishra's gowns that mimic the way mushrooms grow in shell-like patterns and trees. To Stella McCartney's new bustier and leggings made from Milo, a mycelium-based leather alternative. Milo is out there as a product, So Stella had done some work with the bag and made a very popular bag with this product. But Milo has a whole line of material that can be worked with that is an alternative to leather. And it's being shown anywhere from shoes to briefcases to other applications one would see with leather, and it's all mycelium-based. It's permeating pop culture in such a way that you wouldn't look at some of these materials and think mushrooms. I was wondering what your take on that was alone, just in the fashion world. There's so many interesting pieces in the fashion world. I find it really interesting because as someone who has been vegetarian since beginning of my life, basically, the the thing that is often offered to you as a substitute in a restaurant is a portobello mushroom sandwich. If you've ever eaten a portobello mushroom, it resembles kind of like a steaky flavor. I mean, it's not the same, but point being, there's a meaty, a fleshy texture to it. Because of that, there is sort of a skin element to it that perhaps over time we may have even like evolved from. It definitely, it does make sense to me that they would be using uh, that sort of material as this new sort of need from Gen Z is coming in where they're wanting to be more sustainable is a word they're using. That seems to be how the mushroom trope has been sort of kind of pushed and thrust upon the fashion world. Now, I find it really interesting when I trace back sort of some of the the ways that mushrooms have permeated culture, obviously they were used back in, you know, the days of, I guess, the Mayans to control populace. And if we go to the next thing that I'm super familiar with is what we were mentioning earlier was the 60s. And then we have a whole bunch of people who took drugs in the 60s and basically come out with video games in the 80s. And you would be shocked at the amount of mushroom tropes. You wouldn't be shocked Many people might be shocked if they were to take a look at how much the mushroom played a huge role, not only in Alice in Wonderland, let's forget that, but let's talk about the Mushroom Kingdom and Super Mario Brothers. Let's talk about the actual studio where The Last of Us uh, came from. The video game production was called Naughty Dog, and it was founded in 1984. So there's sort of this like very interesting way that it has, and as you said, movies are now becoming made from video games. This all sort of plays into fashion and that it's all culture. And when you combine it all together, it's creating 
a hall of mushrooms, right? Like we're seeing that mushrooms are everywhere in the culture right now. You can look at Joe Rogan talking about them. You can talk about all the supplements. I've never heard more people in my life talk about lion's mane. I find it very interesting how over time it has crept into the zeitgeist. And if I think about how a parasite would work, I would think this is kind of how they do it. It would be sort of by talking to like the influencers and getting them to talk about it or getting people who were maybe more outliers and willing to try crazy stuff. Psychedelics, for instance, like Joe Rogan. And then he gets on there and he starts spreading his spore ideas on the internet in a way that has never really been available before until then. I also really, it would be completely lost on, uh, if I didn't mention the phallic nature of the spore and the mushroom and how it really is no different than this like quote unquote, and I use this so loosely because we don't have new language, but of the patriarchal like mindset, right? Of spreading and creating and in controlling, right? And so that's kind of how I see it is that there is this very, it's a very like kind of forceful forward It is creative, not in a way that involves perhaps the body it's taking over, but it's creative in the way that it has a job to do and it's working your nervous system to accomplish that, to reproduce, to make sure other people are enjoying these products more, to make sure that more people know about it. If you just really take a look at how romanticized mushrooms have become, uh, I'm thinking of the 70s even, like what didn't everyone have like an owl and a mushroom and, you know, some sort of decor in their home. They've been everywhere. Mushrooms, if you think about it, for what they are, have been fucking everywhere. In our kitchens, in the kitschy artwork, like with the gnomes, they are everywhere. It's actually that I'm starting to get sort of jeeved out by it because it's like, God, they really are everywhere. And why else would they be everywhere? And so, Cause it's like, why would you paint that? Why do we think they're so cute? The little like red toadstool, you know what I mean? Like there is a way we think about them. And then I wonder now why we think about it that way. Indeed. I mean, it, it is part of what became kind of this dark undertone when I started to really drill down on this, that they have been around our lives in some form in the world of pop culture, which is what we're here to explore. In the 70s, I mean, they really were in every household as some form. But going back further, even Art Nouveau prints and stuff and the work of many of the graphic designers of the last century from the Art Nouveau on with the naturalist movement and even before that with the aesthetic movement and the arts and crafts movement where those motifs and forms are worked into everything. But it did get very campy in the 60s, 50s and 60s. If your job is to spread yourself, if your job is to get representation of yourself in every avenue, then they are very successful. And we already know that somehow they're integral in our story as a life form, that something about them is part of the bigger story here. Like with cephalopods, there's something extra with them. And we know there's something extra with them because of the explorations in how deadly they can be and how they can take us into other 
dimensions of reality, portals into the unseen world. There is so much here. As you mentioned earlier, I found it interesting as I was digging through some of the scientific journals how there seems to be a lot of disagreement within the community as I was reading around, listening to some of the experts talk and finding myself being perplexed by this because, yeah, that's standard and everything else we talk about. That's a standard, almost human trait. But I was, for some reason, not expecting that in this particular field of study. And it's there. It's definitely there. It does seem to be a dividing aspect in that where we are talking about it, where I went in thinking they're just so fabulous and magical and look at the potentials and all this to going, oh my goodness, should we be worried? I want to just make note of the phallic nature. So you touched upon this, but oftentimes the fruits, which are what most people think of as the mushrooms uh, themselves that we cut and eat and all that, the fruits are always very suggestive. There's some that you know, look like penises and labia, you know, vaginas, some that look hermaphroditic. They just are incredibly provocative when you start to explore them graphically as images and then move into the image through the symbolic factor and then move into the physiology of them and the biology of them and how we have receptors in our own physiology that are somehow connected to all this. I just can't help this feeling that's kind of creeped me out that we have been manipulated as a life form by this third kingdom in the same way that I feel that the ancient intelligence, which is known right now as artificial intelligence, which I do not believe in anything artificial from the natural world, even if we extract substances and then, you know, Frankenstein them, uh, it's still the base is all sourced naturally from the known world. But back to the pop culture of it, I mean, looking at the latest album from Bjork, whom I've long loved. I mean, I don't know who, how can you not love Bjork? She brings us other world energy always. And she is absolutely fascinated with this as a motif and she's presenting it as only Bjork can. So what were your thoughts on Bjork and the new work she's putting out with all this imagery? Let me start by saying uh, Bjork was on schedule to perform at Coachella, and she did, but she did something very interesting, which was she was one of the two artists to opt out of having it shown 
on YouTube, which was a big bummer. I really wanted to see her. But you did, I guess, in the, the days following, she had a few of her songs put up there. So you really do get to see the otherworldly nest that she gives and serves and all of that. However, she does have a real love for mushrooms. And uh, she says, the mushrooms, it is something that lives underground, but it is not a tree, Bjork tells Pitchfork, about the album's fungus metaphor. A tree root album would be quite severe and stoic, but mushrooms are psychedelic and they pop up everywhere. My fungus period has been bubbly and fun with a lot of dancing, she said. So... When I hear that, I think, of course, in terms of time and ages and the movement of currency, right? And I think of back in a time when we came, Egyptian time, right? Like the papyrus, the tree, uh, the book, the paper, the thing that's right there. It's right in front of you. You can write it down. You have a grimoire. You can take a recipe, pass a note, whatever you want to do. I see that as very much a tree root sort of vibe. When I think of what she says about the mushrooms popping up everywhere, it makes me think of more like now, this internet sort of vibe that we have where things are kind of more quantum, things are everywhere all at once. There's no real root to the the situation like there once was. And the root that is there is perhaps wireless, right? It's Wi-Fi is what my opinion is. It's the, the mycelium Wi-Fi. It has its own, you know, communications. I'm sullying it by calling it Wi-Fi. Let me just put it like that. But it is really interesting to think about how we take in information now and how there is no, for instance, no water cooler chat. That would be maybe something everyone getting together at 8 o'clock the night before watching TV and then chatting about it in the office the next day. That would, to me, be something significant or related to a tree root sort of vibe. And now uh, we all have streaming services. We can watch whatever we want when we want. And that's more of a psychedelic sort of popping up vibe. And I do sort of in that way see a transition from sort of a plant level to the mycelial level of existence. Again, it's spreading itself as an idea through art and culture. One has to ask at this point, Are we freely thinking about fungi this much, or is it actually controlling our thoughts? It's got an alien quality to it. There's a mind virus aspect to it. I want to believe. I know the truth is out there, but I'm cautious now. We were talking about food and meat substitutes. And I'm going to bring you in on this, of course, but I was intrigued by this because I have not tried this new product called Milo. So Milo is grown in a controlled fermentation process with oats and mycelium. Milo grows alternative meat in a controlled fermentation process using oats and mycelium, and it uses a fraction of the water used by plant-powered meat products. The non-GMO alt-meat made with whole foods is cruelty-free, high in fiber and protein, free form binders, artificial ingredients, and easily digestible, which has led to it being called 
the purest meat analog ever. And that's in quotes. The clean label and versatile meat analog is ready to be fried, baked, barbecued, or roasted for enjoyment in many forms. Unlike many meat substances or substitutes that are heavily processed and require considerable resources to create, Milo needs minimal water and energy. As the brand states, it produces 97% fewer emissions compared to beef and 80% fewer compared to soy. I got very excited when I first saw this because I will try a lot of meat substitutes, barring bugs and lab-grown stuff. It's just a hard no for me. But this seems to look like something fun, like something I want to try. So I will, I will try it. And if it's a good alternative for me, and if all these bells and whistles are as they say they are, I don't understand why there would be kickback on this. Personally, I understand how a lot of the other meats that are non-meats are actually poisonous to us. They're, they're terrible for us. They create more problems than they are there to say they solve, etc. So I just don't really use any of them. But one I did find rather enjoyable was called corn. And so let's talk about alternative meats for a minute. You've been a lifelong vegetarian until recently. Let's chew on this for a minute, Amy. Yeah. Um, recently I started eating meat very low key again, simply because it had been like 30 years and I just thought, you know, maybe we'll switch it up. Careful with where I'm sourcing it. Try to be as careful as I will with anything else, but that's not what we're here for. The substitute meats, as you mentioned, were one of the reasons that I kind of made a switch because there's a whole host of other reasons we could get into that meat is not a great thing to eat right now. But for me, as you had mentioned, the processed foods, the there's all sorts of stuff, and they do create a whole host of other problems because your body is not used to breaking down like a lot of the wheat. A lot of it's made of like wheat protein, and it's it kind of has a similar texture, but it's just it's. It's just not really where it's at. The corn, however, was one of my favorites. Um, We thought it was interesting years ago when we picked up these nuggets simply because it uh, was made from mycelium. We've been seeing a lot of like proteins and mushroom proteins around in in the zeitgeist, which is not necessarily the, the greatest guide, but we thought, sure, this is interesting. Then I looked into the company and it was originally um, created. I'm not sure who made it. The concept of this lab-grown meat sort of came from people who wanted to help low-income families eat more, I guess, protein. And that always kind of um, struck me as interesting just because, sure, on surface level, that sounds like a really great thing, right? I love the idea of people who can't afford to eat being given food that that meets the needs of my mammal brain, right? But then if I think deeper about it and I understand the nature of people and who is constantly trying <laughs> to, you know, profit or hold power or whatever, this kind of struck me as an interesting uh an interesting thing to purchase. That's what I have to say about corn. I didn't hate the way it tasted. I definitely wasn't for me ultimately, but I've definitely tasted worse. And uh, I had I not read that kind of weird thing about 
their inception, I might be a little more open to it. But at this point, I'm just like, I'll have the real thing or I won't have it at all. I, I don't have it at all quite a bit. So that seems to be a really easy one for me. But if you're out there uh, and you're checking into that stuff, it's like Nish has mentioned, it is probably... Here we go with that. I'm questioning what I'm even saying. It is probably a better option than a lot of the other things out there. Is it a is it a good option? I don't know. But better than the other ones? Yeah, I'd probably say so. And I definitely want to keep this in. I am so, yeah, I see what you're saying where you're like, oh, I want to say these things that are about them. But then it's like, what's making me say that? And it's kind of a little bit, it's, it's a little bit of a game in my mind right now. I got to be honest. There's a hazy factor here. But if Milo is everything it's saying it is, and it tastes good, I could be a new fan. Now, with something like Beyond Meat, it's been a love-hate situation. Like, I I loved the idea, and then I started to back off because there's something in there I don't trust. And I get a little bit gun-shy when things are being pushed really heavily in the collective and beyond me ended up everywhere at, at Burger King. And I mean, it became pop culture in and of itself. And it just seemed, I don't know, like an agenda. And so I, I stopped eating that, even though I thought, wow, what a great thing that now vegetarians can go to the junk food outlets and get vegetarian junk food. Every vegetarian and every vegan knows that all this stuff that's processed like to mock other things, it's all junk food. We all know that. It's absolute junk food. And vegans and vegetarians are just as unhealthy as anyone else. I don't know what the stats are, but it's always about the quality of food. And so those things I've always considered the alt meats and that kind of stuff I've always considered as kind of junk foodie. And don't get me wrong, there's some I just love and will have in a kind of guilty pleasure kind of way. There are just always going to be those things for me in my life. The Millow stuff seems to be saying it's actually healthy. It's processed in a way that is healthy for you. In fact, better than the way other things are processed, including natural meats. And I don't need any convincing when I look out at the world of natural meats. I have always been one to believe in chain of custody. So I love Amish style, Amish stuff and small farm meats where animals have a good you know, a good life where where cows are and goats and all that are rotated in and out of dairy production instead of just never going out of it and all this stuff that could be talked about. But this show's not about meat and alt meat. However, when we are talking about the food industry, and when we're talking about alternatives for people that don't eat meat, Mushrooms and mycelia are up there as some of the best options ever put forward. And that is something to look at. We all know soybeans are a very bad deal. Soy is a very bad deal unless it's fermented. So the old school way that's been around for 
well, since fermenting was discovered, especially in Asian cultures, soy sauce is a good thing. It's fermented soy, same with tofu and other things such as that. So fermenting is, of course, our friend. Fermentation is part of this greater story with the third kingdom. We share 50% of our DNA with mushrooms. And we've heard so many people, and by so many, I mean, you know, I've listened to my fair share of Joe Rogan and then also people that I guess have been in his sphere talk about the fact that they are personally believers of the idea that consciousness sort of didn't come to be, but expanded because, you know, foragers were eating these mushrooms and, you know, we started getting new ideas about things. And I guess if you're going to take their paradigm in their words, they were like interdimensionally, you know, meeting with these entities. And I just find it very interesting, though, because if it is something that's so easy for us to eat, could it, it be just like cannabis, too? It's like something we're ready to receive and our human instrument is able to receive these things and receive sort of like uh benefits or maybe adapt uh, adaptations or uh and maybe it it hadn't always been this way maybe this is a, a new way of perceiving it but i'm trying to be as neutral as possible where i don't want to be concerned about them from a way of i want i don't want to be afraid of them because they do seem like they're a natural part of life they do um fascinate me and that i don't know how much of my own thinking is mine because of the amount of spores i'm probably breathing right now. Um, And they fascinate me because they also do seem to have an adaptive sort of, if one looks at evolution in this way, an evolutionary component of people being able to have a more expansive point of view after they take them. This is, of course, psilocybin. It's a weird one. Yeah, because I do see how there is a, a point of view at which this all looks terrifying because it seems like a takeover. And from more of a bottom-up view, it seems like something that's very natural. And perhaps if you're not as integrated with the natural world or you're not as accustomed to like the truth of the material world, this could be a lot more um, – could be a lot – more to handle. But I think probably so many of us have these expanded minds, maybe not even from taking any sort of entheogens, but just from taking in information. And I sort of see that as analogous. And I I guess I could see it at some point. It could think we've expanded too much and we need to sort of off ourselves in a species sort of way. But right now it seems like it's trying to grow and flourish in this very like underground sort of way. And the thing that I'm actually kind of more concerned about is not them, but like the people who are trying to like control that, you know, because then there's the people who know that's coming. They want to, you know, meet it at the head before it gets too out of hand. And so that's, that's my very real, very in the middle, we are working through this together sort of take. (laughs) I am not trying to put out fear. I am just being cautious in a way that I never was before because I am a longtime fan of the Third Kingdom. And my lifestyle reflects it, absolutely and utterly reflects it. So it's not a fear thing. It's a creepy thing. It's a respect thing at a different level. It's a questioning, is this my thought or is this its thought? Yes, the adaptogenic aspect is there. The receptors 
in our bodies, our brains are there just like with the sacred devil's lettuce, you know, marijuana. And I'm a big fan of all things natural. So my questioning this is coming from a space of how nasty humans have been of late and having something as intelligent as the third kingdom kick out a response like we see in the last of us. That's where the creepy comes. Oh yeah. And so that's, this is what I'm talking about. I don't personally feel in fear. I don't personally want to eat cordyceps anymore though. And I was using cordyceps powder. I have decided that I don't like the idea of that in general. Now I was always a little bit, leery of it anyway but here's where the actual scary part of it comes and i mentioned this earlier the genetically modifying of it of these organisms of this intelligence that's what scares me and that could have a lot of implications because we're talking about the mad scientists out there, and I, I mean mad really in the true like cray-cray way. You know, like the people that are GMOing mosquitoes. I'm not going to name names, but we all know who those gatekeepers are. And just releasing them into the populace without any real discussion. Like if they're going to release stuff and it's going to affect us, we need to have a say in it. And I don't mean just a corrupt senator or mayor or someone that's supposed to represent us because ultimately these kinds of things break down in a way that affect us down the road in an unseen kind of underground network of physiological changes that could be very harmful to us and our children moving forward as a species. And so that's where I'm coming from. Do I love the natural world? Absolutely, 100%. And I trust the natural world, but not the manipulation of it. And this could be said of many things, but what if something dark got in to say the right people and manipulated something dark to be pushed out into the world. I mean, I already think that happens right now. I think that's happening all around us. I could point to the situation in the last three years that went down and go, this looks like that. So as we're moving along this idea of the fungus among us. Mushroom burial suit for green burial. This is a very modern thing. Now, Luke Perry went out this way. They put him in one of these suits, and he's sprouting new life everywhere, wherever they laid him. So this is a big deal, and the whole burial industry is really taking on new stride. Now we've talked about this and I find it 
kind of a beautiful thing. I like these natural desks. We had natural desks before the modern era, and I'm fond of it. So there's nothing here creepy to me about this at all. It's very ashes to ashes, dust to dust to me. We came from, we go back to. So there are these company, there is a company out there right now, and it is pushing this. But one of the things I'm curious about, and I have questions over, is it possible that if we start seeing some of this take on a life of its own. Again, this might be something that's modified. So if we start feeding a fungi that's been modified to really just seek out mammalian flesh in a new way where it's very, I guess, honed in on Homo sapiens sapiens, you know, this could be a horror movie, couldn't it? It's interesting when the sci-fi mind kicks in and we know that one of the roles that the third kingdom is revered for is breaking down all the things, all the leaves, all the tree branches, all the dead animals. It's turning our soil into something rich and loomy and making it absolutely the perfect breeding ground for growing new things to sustenance us, new life that we can then feed upon because everything in this realm is a food chain one way or another. So, Amy, what do you think about these mushroom burial suits? I looked these up because I did first hear about it with Luke Perry. Um, In 2011, they started talking about them on a TED Talk. A guy, a person named Rim Lee. I believe they're from Japan. And the idea was to disrupt the the funeral industry, which could not be a more Aquarian idea. So we get into 2016 and I see an article in Vogue. It's the first one I see. I'm sure other people could look um, where they're talking about these suits and sort of making them uh, more known to the public. By 2019, Luke Perry is buried in one and everyone sort of has that now solidified in their memory. And now they seem to be available uh, to for a very low amount, honestly. If you've ever been through a funeral service, uh, even the urn costs thousands of dollars, it does seem. So if you are the kind of person not interested in participating in capitalism, say post-death, uh, this might be uh, a really neat alternate for you. But um, just to keep on with what you're saying, because I do understand exactly what you're saying now, which is the natural world is being messed with, obviously, duh. Yeah, that does create sort of a problem. What are these suits made out of? You know what? I I mean, there's all sorts of stuff that makes me wonder how is any sort of butterfly effect being tinkered with on any of this? And just due to the way that spores spread and the nature of mushrooms, that is sort of, like you were saying, alarming simply because the amount at which something faulty or mm, genetically modified could spread would be, be impossible to contain. The third kingdom had me thinking about the 
third kind, right? The um, Close Encounters, because my dad watched that movie all the time. And it had me thinking also about how whenever we get an onslaught of mushrooms, maybe like August every year, just everywhere, and it's it's not because of too much water, everything's really dry, it's the, very, it's the strangest thing. I always have just like called them our little elves, like our little alien life forms, because that's what they seem like to me and the way the spores can just delineate. And so I just wanted to put that out there too, that there is this very, to me, a very strong link between the the permeation of the spores and alien life. Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it's out there. And on that subject, really, there was this story that came out of Guanajuato, Mexico. And here's the story. It came up out of the Miami Herald. Signs of life in mummy exhibit in Mexico have experts worried for those who get close And as you go on to read, there is a fungus of some sort. There's a a moldy type fungus that seems to be visible from photos. So here's, here's an excerpt. Experts saw photos of the display and spotted signs of possible fungal growth on one mummy, the Institute said in its statement. The signs of life worried experts because of the possible biohazard concerns. Yet, lack of safeguards and the danger of damage to the fragile mummies. So, I know that's a strangely written paragraph and I probably read it completely terribly but what i wanted to get at here is if you want to set up for a horror film you've got it you got everything you need here you've got mummies you've got a fungus on the mummies you've got an art institute mummies coming up out of a museum in mexico going on tour and a fungus that can spread and there was talk about some of these mummies were being handled in a non-cautious way. And that is your setup for anything. I mean, The Last of Us, it, it could be something. So I just found that to be very intriguing when I saw that story separate from are digging into all this material, Amy. It was something I saw when it came out. I'm not sure when, but it was apparently April 5th. So I think we'd already planned to do this, but I had seen it and and posted it separately and not really thinking of it as part of this because originally I wasn't going to get into all the horror aspect of it. I was going to get into the woo-woo other life form of it and into the psychedelia of it into that vein. And then as I started to look around, all this other stuff seems to be out there like spores on the wind. There's like a narrative that's just a sub narrative, but it's still out there of kind of horror around fungus and mold of course, it's always earth mold, but we've got to remember that is a form of fungus, as is yeast, as we were talking about earlier. That fungus has 
has more nuance to it than most people realize. And so if we start to think of it in that way, and then indeed, as one does research for shows like this, you start to see that there's a lot of uh, facets to explore, and it's not one-dimensional. Now, going into this, we know it's not one-dimensional because of our own modern history with psychedelics and talking about other worlds and the alien space experience of fungi being able to travel on asteroids and all this. It's all out there. The mind is a fertile place for mycelium. And so on that note, as in the opening, there's this news out of Detroit, deadly drug-resistant infections caused by Candida auris are rising in Michigan hospitals. Detroit Medical Center has advanced fungal detection testing available to catch the infection before it's too late. And this is a deadly strain of this. It's 50% mortality rate. The CDC even came out and said this is a problem. Now, anyone following us understands the FDA and the CDC are amongst these other agencies that I believe we shouldn't trust. In fact, what they put out, we should possibly take heed on as far as there is an agenda. There's always an agenda and they push it. They push it for different reasons. Sometimes it's for money, but other times I think it's for sport And I say that because you go above the line of money, above the capstone, and it's more than money. The people that have all the money, they don't need any more money. It's not about money at some point. And so I think things like this become more interesting to people that are in those positions So that said, you know, the CDC seems to be putting forth some information about this and it's running a course out there that looks like something that is going to be a problem. And so they have, they have a whole bunch of information on it. And here's just a couple bullet points from the CDC. So. Candida auris is an emerging fungus that presents a serious global health threat. CDC is concerned about C. auris for three main reasons. Number one, it is often multi-drug resistant, meaning that it is resistant to multiple antifungal drugs commonly used to treat candida infections. Some strains are resistant to all three available classes of antifungals. Point two, it is difficult to identify with standard laboratory methods and it can be misidentified in labs without specific technology. Misidentification may lead to inappropriate management. Point three, it has caused outbreaks in healthcare settings. For this reason, it is important to quickly identify CRS in a hospitalized patient so that healthcare facilities can take serious precautions to stop its spread. It goes on with more uh, fear, really. And this was not in just Detroit. There were cases of fungal to human 
sickness going on in California prior to this, which is what I actually went looking for. And then I found this. So this is out there, out there right now. And they're putting this into the world of thought, the world of the mind parasite, the world of the egregore. And I think that it is something to keep an eye on, especially coming on the debris field of The Last of Us. What do you think about this, Amy? Yeah, I think that there is no need to ever be relying on any sort of agency outside of yourself when it comes to self-protection, when it comes to knowing how to navigate a current situation. Um, I rely on that simply because of A, I don't have a trust. I have trust issues with them. And B, beyond that, I don't see how anyone, especially someone who I would believe to be in on the whole situation would be of any service to me um, that didn't have any kind of um, interaction with my own survival mechanism. And so I guess I would just say that for me, it is very easy to absolutely agree with what you're saying there. Well, it deepens. So there are people out there questioning the head of the UFO program. So one of the questions from, let's see, on Twitter, Akashia Asimi, and I apologize if I say that incorrectly, posed a question, why does the head of the UFO program have a background in parasitology and not physics or engineering? And they have a little meme here with little green men or little parasitic worms. So I went and I looked at this and there are articles, there are people talking about this. And this comes from the Washington Post from... June 8th, 2021, UFOs and National Security with Luis Elizondo, former director, Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program. And he is tied into all this. So why I'm bringing this forward is This is a big position. This is an important position. When we are talking about fungus and we're talking about spores and we're talking about things that take over other things, one's mind immediately jumps to parasites. And in fact, cordyceps are one of those parasitical Examples, there are others. This plays hand in hand. So now we're looking at this idea of parasitic living entities that are arguably intelligent and in different ways than we are. Again, this deepens this idea of what in the hell is going on? It just seems strange. And so I just wanted to throw that out there. 
If I may, the War of the Worlds, as I recall, was the whole point of it was that it was a germ that was trying to invade and it, it couldn't survive here because we had a stronger immune system. So it does seem that even back in the beginning of this propaganda campaign, it was always sort of presented as a small, par- not a parasite necessarily, but a bug, a germ, a bacteria, a virus. There's something that's going to make you sick is kind of the idea, but it couldn't survive here, according to War of the Worlds. And that's actually very interesting now that I think about the um, the the way that cordyceps work with the human body temp, how like at that point in time, maybe they couldn't survive here. I don't know. But uh, it's, I also find it very interesting that they would be studying parasites and not necessarily aliens as we have come to know them. Because again, parasites do seem to be this very lack of a better term, low-key, subversive way that it works its way into our bodies to the point that we don't even know that it's operating in there. And it's kind of bizarre because the idea of the parasite is it needs you alive enough so that the parasite can sustain, but it don't need you that alive. So it's interesting when you think of some of the iterations of zombies that we've seen, some of the slower-moving ones, and then when I um, I was just looking up ergot poisoning, because that's also a fungus, and it made people seem crazy. And I'm just thinking of all of these times that people have kind of lost control of themselves, seemingly, and it's not understood. And it does seem to be this thing that kind of wilds out every now and again, this, this like fungal need, this parasitic need to sort of make itself like very clear we have periods of time where they really do sort of um present themselves into our civilizations more than others it doesn't surprise me at all that anyone studying ufos or any kind of any kind of artificial intelligence at this point any of that kind of stuff would be looking at parasites because the way that parasites work if you haven't looked into it i would highly suggest looking into it at home it's maybe one of the most fascinating things you'll ever, ever read. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And our show is heavily indexed. So make sure to check out our indices. So, you know, just looking at basic stuff, there's all kinds of sources. I'm looking at Micropia, Mycelium Network of Fungal Threads. It's a site out there. But one spore is enough. A mycelium is a network of fungal threads of hyphase. Uh, and I'm sorry if I mispronounce. Mycelia often grow underground, but can also thrive in other places such as rotting trees. A single spore can develop into a mycelium. The fruiting bodies of fungi, such as mushrooms, can sprout from mycelium. Between you and I, Amy D., lives the world's largest fungus. A fungus with mycelium that lives in the Blue Mountains in Oregon in the USA occupies 10 square kilometers. This makes it the largest organism in the world. So girl, there's a big old thing between you and I, and it's creeping. So another thing I'd like to point out here is it's one thing to think about mushrooms and mycelium but molds everyone kind of has a ew kind of you know except for the people that study all this and find it 
incredibly fascinating and I do find it fascinating, but there's still, when you're encountering it on say some food, you're, you know, the first response for me is okay. (laughs) It's been in there too long. So molds, molds digest food like we do with enzymes. Spores are like seeds. There are good molds and bad molds. Some make neurotoxins. That is a bad thing, and that can kill you. It can do a lot of damage, etc. But some actually heal us, and we, of course, know about penicillin and all that. So it's it's you know interesting to look at all the different ways in which something like a mold can express and change you in one way or another, kill you or heal you. A fungus is a simple living cell that is neither a plant or an animal. I don't think people realize that truffles, fungus, mushroom, mold, truffles, yeast, there are more. They're everywhere. There's more than 100,000 different species of fungi, and I'm sure that is a conservative estimate. They seem to be in a lot of places. There's some woo here in the pop culture, though. That's interesting. So I think I picked this up from you, Amy, but King Charles was foraging mushrooms as Queen Elizabeth lie dying. This is really an interesting narrative. And of course, there's a lot of stuff going around all that. But what are your thoughts on that? Like, why would the mainstream news put out God, you know, even if it's true, if it's true or not, but why, why would that be a story? Because it creates a very provocative image to put out to the public. What do you think about that? I thought that was a very interesting story for two reasons. Let's go ahead and start with um, the first thing that pinged into my mind when I imagined this man uh, carrying some mushrooms. I immediately thought there's, it's kind of reminding me of when Hillary was walking in the woods, you know, after she lost, it seemed like a very staged moment. And so now when I look up the symbolism of mushrooms, just like in a very Googleized, binged fashion, mushrooms are often seen as a symbol of life and death due to their ability to both grow and decay. They can also represent fertility due to their role in growth and plant life. In some cultures, they are also seen as representation of the spiritual world. So to me, being he is going to be uh, succeeding the the dead queen, right? So there's the symbol of her death and the succession of his life. And I think it's just a real, I think it's probably one of those, it would be a portrait, you know, had it not been in page six or in the whatever, the Daily Mail. I think it's one of those portraits that they take, uh, they using symbolism very purposefully. What I also thought was interesting about this article was that later on, they just kind of casually mentioned that Harry is also a lover of shrooms, though not the kind used as a pizza topping. So here we are seeing in the very same uh, article about the life and death of the queen and the new king, we're seeing how her grandson is a lover and to in, he loves to ingest, I guess I'm going to call them magic mushrooms. And uh, that's interesting because of the influence that he has over the American people, oddly enough, and also sort of the way that he is looked at right now in that area. I don't, 
I actually don't know how he's perceived by the public. I know how he's perceived by the Daily Mail and by the monarch, and they don't like him right now. So I can see that while this might be even something influential they're sharing, I don't know if they're putting it out there to embarrass him. It's tough when it, you it's tough when they're talking about the royal family because they have so much allegiance to the damn queen. So um yeah, but I definitely thought that was an interesting, interesting symbol of note and Maybe also because he's going to be the king. Very interesting picture indeed. Indeed it is. And there's just more to it. I mean, you know, psilocybin is being very much touted in the world of psychological mental, you know, psychological health these days by microdosing. And a lot of people are microdosing. So that's out there, and I think everybody's kind of aware of it. But they're also saying, like, the New York Post had uh, an article from April 20th here just recently saying psychedelics could treat long COVID, but experts say proceed with caution. They go into this idea and they present it. It's also coming out in this way, and... Uh, it's interesting that they use psychedelics, so they're obviously talking about psilocybin, which I find interesting when you're talking about something that they are calling a viral infection, which would be COVID, right? If you believe that narrative. So I don't know. I found that interesting. But there's also some more stuff here with the CDC right off their site. It's in the It'll Be in Our Indices Toxoplasm gondii is a protozoan parasite that infects most species of warm-blooded animals, including humans, and causes the disease toxoplasmosis. And they have on here, and we talked about this a little bit earlier, but I just wanted to make sure that everyone's aware that the CDC has this stuff up, and so does the NIH as well. And so they have a little graph here that shows you how you as a human can get infected by this from basically cat, bird, rat, all the way through the meat you eat and um, or even changing cat litters. So it's out there and it's something to put your eye on because it's very interesting that that also is moving around the realm. When I first encountered this, it was just that it was affecting cats. And, and the very first thing that came out was, well, and I don't know, this was at least 15 years ago. You know, they're pushing this idea that you can get toxoplasmosis from cat litter. And so the new thing I found interesting is now they're saying the meat that you eat if you're eating pigs and and sheep and these that you can get it through the meat so that's out there and through also blood transfusions and all that that's out there and it's more cdc stuff and of course we understand that they do push fear they are pushing fear and they are pushing narrative so it's not like they're out there for the betterment of people in my opinion, I know that's not everyone's opinion, but there, there's so much more to this. So as I was saying earlier, fungus cannot make their own food. 
like plants. They are eukaryotic. And when you start looking into what that means, it's a diverse domain of organisms whose cells have a nucleus. All animals, plants, fungi, and many unicellular organisms are eukaryotic, are eukaryotes. And they constitute a major group of living things along with two groups of prokaryotes, the bacteria and the archaea. I hope I said that right. So we start to really get an idea of how diverse all this is and that there is something similar are familiar with the way in which they move in the realm that seems very interesting. I mean, we talked about the amoeba aspect earlier. It pushes this idea into our consciousness in a deeper way when you start to dig into this material. I got curious and I was Looking down some of the dark side now. I didn't have a lot of time to do this. I was curious. And so I went to fungivores and I started to look at what are they and all that. I became enchanted by slugs and mollusks. And I started to think about how those things move forward because the slug slime can be very deadly. Certain slug slimes can be very deadly. And this is one of the reasons why gardeners don't like them on their lettuces and stuff because they have a, a toxin to them and they can eat a banana slug can eat an amanita and they do. And they can eat these different fungi that are deadly to us, like other things, I'm sure. But then they can, they slime all over. And you've seen like pictures of the big sea slugs that are gigantic. And I started to think back to old folk horror stuff. There's a good precedence out there in folk horror, which I'm a big fan of, of these kinds of mollusk, gelatin-like, alien-like, sluggy things out there that are monstrous, that eat humans, that take over. They crawl into your ears or your nose, and they they take over like any other parasite. And it was just more of this idea. And I, I didn't have enough time to really suss it out, but it felt very interesting to me, and I was thinking about it in terms of the mummies and how all that was spreading through pop culture right now, through different avenues of storytelling, through different avenues of mind infection, from The Last of Us to Invasion of the Body Snatchers, all these different narratives to Luke Perry, our you know stars being buried in mycelium suits to sprout forward, etc. And this all becomes very provocative in the mind. And so I just wanted to continue with that idea. And see, one of the things that is very intriguing to me as well, as we start to think about what are the differences between 
parasites and other things is, again, getting to the basic definition of what a parasite is. So there's this article in Life Science. Amy, I think you posted it. I'm not sure, but here's the title. Mind Control Parasite Toxoplasma Hides from the Immune System with Two Key Genes. Uh, This was provocative to me. It's posted three days ago. A single cell parasite relies on two genes that boost each other's activity to switch into defense mode when attacked by the immune system. And it goes into, again, the star of the show on this is Toxoplasma Gandhi. They're saying it's in up to half of the humans, although it rarely causes symptoms, but it's already allegedly in us. It makes you wonder, like, if you get the right things activated in your body, say you go to a certain form of dis-ease, you get sick with something, and then this is already in the system, it's already bypassed the immune system, this could come forward and express and could be something nasty and and possibly go viral in the public arena. Now, remember... One of the famous things that Mr. Gates said was the next pandemic is going to be the one that's the big one. And I paraphrase, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, it felt like a threat. And it, he made it sound like what we just came through was the, the operation. Of course, we know it was, it was all about an operation, but this seems to be a good, front runner for what they could be wanting to unleash on us. There are a couple options out there, but they have warned us that there is going to be another scary and real pandemic this time. And there's been, of course, on the Wu circuits, all kinds of stuff that was exposed through emails and private conversations and just stuff out there with Mr. Gates talking on TED and open platforms about eugenics. At the end of it all, Amy, I started to think about this as a potential option for a dark narrative because it's in the pop culture everywhere. It's in our collective psyche. It's in sci-fi. It's also in our, you know, we we view it as healthful and medicinal, so people aren't even afraid. And that becomes a very nuanced potential villain for something that could be looming just over the horizon. What are your thoughts on this? I'm not sure how many people listen to Gold Pill, but Meredith and I have been talking about um, mouth portals for a while, which is basically just a a terrible smell that she kind of relates to candida overgrowth in people's mouths. But it kind of, she said it smelled like a fungus. Like in, I remember on Christmas, she had called me and we were talking, she was asking me if like where I was, I could smell it because we were both at our family's house. I was like, I'm not as sensitive as you, but I don't know. So we have been looking at this candida overgrowth. We've been looking at all of this for some time, um, just kind of in, a, in the most of most woo ways you possibly could. 
And when, again, you overlap it with what we know about cordyceps, the way that we are probably already starting to lean into how much we love mushrooms simply because we've been eating mushrooms for so long, um, the way that parasites and toxoplasmosis can take over our will to live and the way that we reproduce. I, yeah, I think we're looking at kind of um, a perfect storm. I don't necessarily know if it's going to look anything like what we've been presented with. I'd actually probably presume it's going to look very different, but it's going to feel like what we've been presented with. And I would kind of ask people to tap into that when it comes to uh, maybe navigating further about, should I be eating this? Should I be eating that? Or is this something that I want to risk right now? Or, oh, I just start questioning the things that have sort of been colloquially understood and pushed as like a really good thing, especially in the new age, the health communities, these places that really do seem like groups that would be easy to target based on um, their openness of thinking maybe, and also the, the capitalizing on their distaste for mainstream. There's lots of possibilities. My, my mind is going crazy just thinking about all the ways this could work out. So yeah, I I am with you. I feel like, honestly, we're already in the middle of this. I don't know, like I said, what it's going to look like, but with the amount of people that are already carrying a lot of this stuff. And the other thing I was going to bring up, too, was the way that it alters your behavior with the toxoplasmosis that um, mimics schizophrenia, which is really interesting when you think about what schizophrenia has been described in in other cultures where it connects you to the realms of the gods or the spirit world or whatever. So I find that really interesting too, whatever that experience is. I'm not trying to have the definitive God experience, but um, I find this all, I find it all to be very much like a ball of tangled up yarn where there's just so much there and it could go so many different ways, but there is a lot of there there. The yarn is in lots of knots and it's uh, mycelia is in lots of knots and it's for us to untangle at our own, you know, desire and will. I'm glad you brought this up with the smell. So over at the cosmic salon, we've, been talking about this for from the beginning. There were lots of people that were coming forward mentioning this mildewy smell off of people that had been juiced. This is not surprising to me at all. So I I was surprised when I started to hear lots of other people talk about a certain smell. And a, a lot of times I would hear people say like it smells swampy or like a a humid fish tank, stuff like that. And not the fish smell itself, but everyone knows that kind of humid smell. And some people have even described it a little sweet, but mildewy sweet. And that has intrigued me from the beginning because what does that bring in? It does bring in this idea of something kind of perhaps in the mold realm and in the mildew realm. And so we all know the story with Candida. That is something to consider because it's it's thrush. It's Candida takes a lot of forms and it's really tied into uh, yeast. Of course, that's what it is. I find that very interesting. The thing with everywhere that mushrooms are everywhere that the third kingdom is reigning, which is 
intricately involved in what we are and where we come from and possibly where we're going, that the dark narrative is coming forward. It's a perfect foe because I think most of us, especially in the alternative healing and eating world, uh, as far as health food and all that, have long loved what can come from mycelia and the fruits of that mushrooms and how they heal ancient Chinese medicine, traditional Chinese medicine, Vedic traditions with all this. It just, it's, it's been with us all along and conceptually we are actually born of it as we were pondering in the beginning that we are, the workmen, we are the hands and the feet of an expression of this life form. And if it is out there, and we all know the dangers, we've all been told in wild mushroom hunting that there are false morels. There, are, you know, there, the mushrooms can kill you dead. So everyone knows there's some danger involved as well. It is absolutely a perfect setup because it's the villain you trust, but you know it's a villain nonetheless. You know, you eat the wrong version of something, it's going to drop you dead. And then what? And so if we are looking for a complex villain, we can find it in the world of fungus very easily. If we are looking at something like nature riding itself, making the world balanced again, who's the hero? Mycelium might be the hero. Fungus, mold, yeast might be the front line. It's hard to tell, but I think now that it's so in the world around us. They're using properties here to clean up toxic waste. They're using it in fashion and alternatives to leather and alternatives to meat. It's being used to treat psychological disorders and health issues and cure cancers It's being used to enhance our lives in ways that are touted as organic and real. It is a form of beauty when walking in the deep wood or a form of utter terror when finding out that under your bed are black mold splotches. It's not a symbol that is easy to read because it needs more context always. It needs more media to form. And our minds, conceptually, are the media. A spore here. And you're a different person. It's a bridge. It's a bridge to whatever space is. 
because we're told fungi can travel on asteroids from other places and come here. It's a bridge to the unseen magical kingdom where the elves and the fae live, where we can communicate with them and the dead. It's a bridge to taking something barren and fruitless as terrible soil and turning it into loomy, lush, life-giving soil that will sustain everything around it, a whole ecosystem. It's protective. Some say you can interact with it directly, and this is not the psychedelic aspect. There are people out there that say they can communicate with the mycelium underfoot. That when they're actually communicating with trees, they're communicating with the mycelium that is interacting with the roots of the tree. It's in our folklore. I mean, we've got all the stories. Of course, Alice in Wonderland's a very famous one. And we all know Alice in Wonderland is more than we know it is. And then the hand that manipulates the mad scientist out there. What are we to do with this idea, with this thought? How are we to traverse forward? For me, I'm curious and I want to know more. I have new lines of inquiry just from this small deep dive. I have more questions than I ever thought I would have. It's mysterious and beautiful like that. It is on par with the idea of death for me, where there's so many unknowns here, but I know it exists. It's there, and it's a gateway to something else. And that something else has a certain intelligence to it. And that ultimately it will take my physical form and transform it into something else, even in a tomb, even as a mummy. There's no escaping it, really. There's only the acceptance and living with it and how we interact with it, because I do believe that it is sentient, Amy D. So... Last thoughts and let people know how they can find us in the world. Last thoughts would be, um, it reminds me in the way that an octopus or a squid is sentient. It reminds me of that. It's a feeler. It's a, and it's an everywhere feeler. It's a sensor. And uh, that would be my final thoughts after kind of deeply going into it and then also just sort of overlaying it with the other things that we know in the natural world 
And yeah, I think you are onto something there, sister. It's definitely, it is, it's kind of the alpha and the omega in that way (laughs) in that it can really, um, it can be everything or it can end you. And that is a totally like free will decision to get there. Um, at least it is now for the most part, if you're following, you know, foraging guidelines and things like that. Um, if you are interested in finding us, you can look for us on Insta- Instagram at Prima Donnas of the Gutter Podcast. You can find Nish at Nish369 or me at She's Amy D on Instagram as well. And we do have a Twitter page that's sort of, it's dwindling. But if you want to come say hi over there, please feel free. And starlight.watch is the place where we are premiered and exclusive. And that is the place that you can listen to our lovely program. 